Genre. In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. For this episode, hmm, I'm thinking Mesopotamia meets Busby Berkeley. And joining me in trying to figure out whatever that means is Brad Boltman. So, Brad, is Brewster's Millions a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? I'm going to say has been uh, <laughs> several times, actually. Several uh, times. I only know about the one. Yeah. Well, uh, it, in in finding out about this, it's uh, uh, I found out that there is a 1945 Brewster's Millions that, that right. the 85 that uh, I think most people are familiar with with Richard Pryor is based on. But there's also a it re- started as a novel, <laughs> so it's a oh. comedy novel from 1904. Okay. <laughs> and when you think about a million dollars in 1904, wow. Uh, <laughs> So was was it a million dollars in the 1904 book? They've continued to update it so that it equals it, it continues with inflation. But yes, it was a million dollars. It was a million dollars. Because I'm pretty sure it was a million dollars in the 1945 movie. I believe in uh, 1904 he stands to win a million dollars. He has to spend oh. like what hundreds of thousands or whatever. Got it. Okay, so it was. Oh, man, I don't even remember the quantity in the 45, but okay, that makes sense. All right, fair enough. Oh, man, I didn't even think about adjusting for inflation when I was thinking about this. Anyway, hi, did... Brad. <laughs> hi. I did I did some of the calculations. Roughly, it would be you would have to spend $100 million in a month. In order to get $300 about, million? No, it would be billions at this point. Cool. L- low billions, but billions. Low billions. So spend... <laughs> <laughs> spend a hundred million dollars to get a billion dollars yeah <laughs> wow okay all right that that'll be that's gonna oh boy okay um so before we get into that brad hi welcome back to ideal remake thank you yeah this is uh i was on before with claire talking about barbarella and um now i'm here I, yeah uh, yeah this is fun so <laughs> initially when you uh suge- wanted to uh, come back and i was like yeah let's do it your first thought was morbius i'm glad we're not doing that what made you think of brewster's millions so i was a latchkey kid and i saw lots of my favorite movies um at after school programs or camps and brewster's million is not one of those because it's not child appropriate uh <laughs> but it is the type of thing that i would have seen there which is like a 80s screwball one-off kind of comedy this is how I saw Princess Bride. It's how I saw Sandlot. It's how I saw a lot of different movies. And Brewster's Millions was one of those that's like fits the build, but I hadn't seen it before. So I wanted to see it. That makes sense to me. Uh, I, I, I So I saw this, the 1985 version and the 1945 or 1984 and 1945 versions for the first time for this episode. But I got to say, like, I talk on this podcast about how like i have friends who do like movies night movie nights and movies sam hasn't seen but kind of the first person who ever sat me down and forced me to like really start watching movies was you i do like movies (laughs) and as we were both latchkey kids at (laughs) we went to high school together and you lived walking distance from the school so we would just go over to your place and like watch tv and movies and whatever and that was always very fun and so having you make me watch this movie was very much a a high school throwback for me. Well, I'm glad because it is one of those movies where you really want to watch it with somebody (laughs) because otherwise it's only as good as it is, which is not very good. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I didn't, I didn't do that though. (laughs) Oops. Sorry. Well, and actually, you know, cause uh, so for the 85, at least uh, I watched it with Chad. Oh, Uh, great. (laughs) <laughs> Who Hi, we Chad. Also, you know, yeah <laughs> not here I, I genuinely like I've, I've mentioned before to like random casual friends it's like oh yeah hang out with my friends claire brad and chad and they're like your friends are brad and chad i was like yeah those are my friends and they're like really i was like yeah and they're like okay 
And my favorite part is what they are picturing as Brad and Chad is the least (laughs) version of us. That's also true. (laughs) Funny. So I, I watched, however, I watched the 85 version and then we were like, or the 84 version. I was like, all right, I guess I got to watch the 1945 version. It's like, oh, it's on YouTube. Great. 1.5 speed it is. Yep. (laughs) That's who I am. But so I thought the movie was fun. Like, I like the concept of it. It's clearly fueled by a lot of cocaine. Yes. Well, the 85 in particular, yes. <laughs> but... Oh, for sure. The, uh, I would assume the uh, 1945 version is fueled mostly by um, bourbon and tobacco. Yeah, that's about right. Or I suppose if they were drinking Coca-Cola at the time. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, n- but I but I actually, I do think there's a difference. And we'll get into that as, as we get into our different versions. But I actually prefer the 45. Um, oh, do you really? Like, very handily oh okay interesting i preferred the the 80s version for people who aren't aware brewster's millions is the movie where some guy in it finds out that he's a long-lost uncle who dies and leaves him a vast quantity of money but only if he spends that vast quantity of money in its entirety in order to get an even vaster quantity of money a a very particular will (laughs) yes and he can't have anything left to his name. Otherwise, he doesn't get anything. Nothing but the clothes on his back. And just the movies themselves are about the, the comical situations. of, And he's also not allowed to tell anybody that that's what he's doing. So it's all yes, these people I think in that, his life. Yeah, those are the two guys. things. Yeah. Can't tell anybody. Have to spend it to the, la- to the last penny. Yes. That's the I, premise I, of the movie. And then they do I'm, wild I mean, it changes. Yeah. It, it changes who gets the money what their career was, how much money it was, all that changes between versions. But you have to spend all of the money and you can't tell anybody about it. Those are the two things. So since there are two versions of this movie, why don't I do a quick run through of the 84 version and then you'll do a quick run through the 45 version just because those are our preferences. Again, we kind of went over the two main points, but sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically the 84 version starts like Montgomery Brewster is a... A minor league baseball player. He had been in the majors, but kind of got brought down to the minors, but still believed in himself that he was like, well, in three innings, I could beat anybody in three innings. And it's kind of just him and John Candy against the world. And then they get beat up in bars and they're not doing all that great. Like they're not successful or happy people necessarily. But then Brewster kind of gets this whole big thing and he kind of goes on this wild spree. But one of the big caveats for the 80s version is that he also was assigned an accountant to keep track of every single receipt. And so she has been keeping track of every single receipt. And so it's her and her fiance who kind of become these other characters within the the nature of, because basically for certainly for uh, financial transactions this large, you need an outside party keeping track of the finances, but even she isn't aware of why he's spending all of his money. And so that's kind of the big change for the eighties version of all the different things he's doing. Cause he's only allowed to give 5% away to charity. He's only allowed to gamble 5%. And so he gambles 5%, but then wins. He doesn't give that much away. And it's just like him hiring everybody to do as many different things as possible. And that's kind of the difference between the movies of that's the crazy thing that happens for him. Like he, the movie's kind of big culmination is he organizes this big baseball, this big baseball game between his minor league team and the, the Yankees after like throwing money away on a a failed, like mayoral election and all this other stuff. That's the other big change for the eighties one, but yeah. yeah. And it turns out that in three innings, he could not strike out the Yankees. And in fact, the coach had to pull him from the game. So like at the end of it, not only does he not have any of the money, he also doesn't have this belief in himself anymore because the one thing he always had in his back pocket of like in three innings, I could strike out anybody isn't true. So he loses all his money, loses everything big showdown where it turns out he didn't spend every all of the money. And then, but he figures out a way to spend the money and he gets to the very end and oh man oh great i do have the money end of movie the accountant comes in saves the day yep because her husband was the one that kind of like betrayed him another big change between that and the 45 version is that the 80s version has evil businessmen who would kind of be in charge of the money if he didn't get to keep it and they're kind of trying to get his way as much as possible and so they convince the accountant's fiance that he should lie and get $20,000 like 
buy something for 20000 then return it. So get to keep that money and basically hands it to Brewster as he's on his way up the elevator to say he spent everything, meaning no, he didn't. Yeah. Uh, that's And that's kind of the biggest difference is just like the more, like, there are antagonists in the 80s version that I don't think there really Much are. Much more so in than in the, the 45, yeah. But I'm sorry, continue. What happens no, in the no. 40s version? I, 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 think, I think that's a great recap. And I actually like a lot about what they did with the 80s and things that I would keep in in a in a new version but I would say the big difference is that in the 1945 it it really isn't about antagonists it's about the situation that he's in it's all of the conflict derives from I'm spending money wastefully and it affects the people I love and care about who want to help and protect me cuz his friends are trying to make him money and his fiance is trying to make him money and protect him and all the and his mom is also in there as well and they're all watching him waste the waste 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 this money and he can't tell them that it's on purpose all the conflict derives from these people that you care about trying to protect you and 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 this person seemingly making these very poor choices yeah in the 19 a lot of the kind of schemes are the same just like 40 years different although if you think about it first one came out in 1945 the second mm-hmm. came out in 1984 it is 2023 i know i know the we're doing like back to the future thing right <laughs> yeah it's uh this is it's 39 years gap between the first two 39 years gap between now the perfect remake Continue. yeah no a lot of the story beats are the same like um there's there's a bit where he chooses the worst horse in our race bets on the worst pot takes the worst possible gamble and wins right Mm -hmm. he makes the worst possible investment and succeeds anyway and that's kind of the humor of it is watching this person melt down trying to fail and succeeding anyway (laughs) so that leads me i think there's two questions to ask to make for an interesting podcast episode because i think we have to look at this two ways what are the ways that you that you Brad would spend? What do we say? A hundred million dollars in order to get a billion dollars? Oh, <laughs> uh, that you that you think would be successful, and then and then after I'll tell you mine, and then afterwards we'll talk about how to actually do it for the case of the movie. Well, I'm actually glad you brought that up because it, this is like what what works with this movie is: has there ever been a movie that instantly sucked you in? to becoming the protagonist. Yeah, that's true. Fast, faster than this movie, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Because like instantly you're just like, well, how would I do it? Yeah. And I have an answer, but I'd love to hear and, yours first. Well, my answer is I'd give up, um, which is the answer that they try, both of them, sure. uh, halfway through the film, which is because uh, they're given this option early on. Take a million uh-huh. and, and give up or, or you know try to do this thing, which is – yeah, that, like I don't think I could do it um, with all these stipulations, with all these rules, and that's what I—that is what I love about the forty-five version—is there's this moment where he is trying to give up, and he's he's talking about how this is ruining his life, and and everyone is—he's so stressed out and he can't handle it, and it takes him halfway through. But that's like the moment where I'm like, that's that's me. <laughs> like, can I just please <laughs> take what I have left? You can have the rest, and I'll and I'll go leave. I'll go. But I think there's a stipulation in the contract that because he decided to do this version of it and not just take the initial buyout, yeah, all that he would have to give it all back. Yeah, yeah. So you your thing is that you would take the initial buyout because basically there's a like for this version it would be fifty million, which is still an insane amount of yeah, money, right? <laughs> and. Like you can take that and walk away and you don't have to do any of this. And the rest of the money goes to wherever it goes. And the only way you get around that, like a good way protagonist wise is, and they do this a little bit in the 85 is like, well, the money now goes to like a wealth management firm who, you know, is just awful. Yeah. And so like part of me would be like, I want to make sure that the money doesn't go to these schmucks. Right. Yes. (laughs) So you're in. So now you're in. You've bought it. I yes. took the buyout. What did you do? So here's the thing. The basic premise is that you cannot have physical assets. And there are a couple of different things that you can throw wrenches into the plan. I'll get to those wrenches in a minute. But basically, you can't have physical assets at the end of this. And the problem with both versions of the movie is that he keeps making what he thinks will be bad investments. 
but even shitty stocks are still stocks. Right. What I think you do is in, so in the first version of the movie, he has three months in the second version. It's only one month, whichever version you have a hundred million dollars. I think you immediately need to leave with as many people as you want and spend a month on the, the most lavish, insane, incredible vacations that you could ever possibly have. I think every single whim needs to be catered to at every single moment. And you are paying for services over the course of the entire thing. And even though you can't tell people how or why you're able to do all of this, what you can say is that, look, you can question this or you can go on, spend a month doing the most insane, incredible thing you've ever done. And it is the absolute best of every possible world, the best foods, the best views, the best methods of travel, everything, because all of these things are transient. Like you eat those foods, you go to the best restaurants and a lot of those things aren't million dollar expenses, but the travel and the nature and certainly the way that they can be presented are like you can, you set it up and you line it up so that you have all of this. Like I potentially would spend a week planning everything out, making the reservations, sending out all the money, and then you go. And that's how you would do it is you pay for experiences you, you you rent out every single seat of Cirque du Soleil so that you get this private showing, this private experience of being able to just see Cirque du Soleil just for you and your four friends or something. And like you do that for every different night, there's a different experience like that. And then you, and you spend the days eating the best, like most expensive foods because you hired out the world's greatest chefs. You, you travel to places you've always wanted to see and you travel in such a way that you... You travel in style so that you don't like have like the jet lag and the horrificness and just the bleh of everything. And that's how you manage to do it. You you spend, even if we only have a month, you spend the week planning and then you have three weeks having the greatest, most exciting adventure that you could ever possibly have. So that even though at the end of it, you have nothing, you do have the experiences, which technically have no value, but it will be remembered as this most incredible thing you've ever done in your entire life. And that's how I would do it. That's just objectively correct. Like that. (laughs) (laughs) And there is a problem with this movie, which is that if you just think logically of a solution, it's just there. But for our purposes of this movie, I think, I mean, so you and I both grew up in Tucson, Arizona. And I think what you could do to make this movie extremely more, like extremely difficult is to add a third caveat. You can't leave town. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, oh, a hundred million in Tucson. (laughs) <laughs> i like wow. i don't know i genuinely don't know how to spend a hundred million dollars in tucson arizona but i feel like that's what you could do and that that way you're going in like oh well great i'm going to travel to and you can't leave town and, and we'll get into that as well because i i was you know i thought about that what are the caveats what are the rules you know they they matter and the progression between the films i i think there's a, a good way to do that moving forward but yeah so i so that's how you and I would handle this. And now I feel like we got to talk about how to make this movie as it, how to do the 2023 version of Brewster's millions. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. I have 2023. I updated it to that year as well. So yeah. All right. So let's start with what are the things that we need to keep? What are the important facets of this movie? Brewster has to inherit money Uh from someone they don't know. Yep. It has to be a ridiculous amount and they yes. have to spend it all within uh, a month, we'll say, mm-hmm. or whatever. I think a month is reasonable. And even more ridiculous amount. Yeah. And I'm perfectly happy with a hundred million and a billion. I like those both. That works for me. Yeah. And then the, the other important point, we already touched on it. They can't say that they're doing this. They can't tell yes. anyone that this is what the will stipulates. Mm-hmm. Agreed, and I I want to add the third stipulation that they they can't leave town. Interesting. I, I don't think it breaks my premise, but sure. Let's have, I mean, let's it, have fun it, with it. I mean, just because well, we got to figure out where it's placed. Like, I don't know where the 1945 version takes place. Uh, New York, I believe. Oh, it, oh, so they both take place in New York. I think so. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Huh. Already then. <laughs> okay, so then, all right. So you said you have a premise. Please enlighten me. Well, I just kind of, I mean, do you want, are we talking about casting yet? No, we are not. Okay, okay. I I will just say then I combined elements of both to have both the kind of corporate espionage stuff, but also I 
didn't I, as much as I love John Candy, I liked that the original had more friends and family and and the fiance. The 85 for whatever romance is in there, it's not earned. <laughs> <laughs> I I I don't disagree. Like I didn't think that Richard Pryor and I don't I happen to not know they the had no name. yeah. Yeah, they had no connection um, whatsoever, but and yeah, they they no. I'm going to look up her name because we should know that. Yeah. So so I would separate characters and have an accountant and a fiance. Oh, apparently there's also a 1935 version of Brewster's Millions. Uh and then there's also like Millions, there's some like tangential, but they're not direct remakes, but no. yeah. The actress who plays the accountant her name is Lynette McKee. That's funny for me. Okay, great. So uh, what do you what do you have Tell, before we do that? Let's what's our backstory for Brewster? Who is Brewster? In the nineteen forty five version, he's a guy who literally just got back from war. Yep, it's nineteen forty five. He just got back from serving world in World War Two. He and his two friends are back, and now it's like, great, I'm finally back. I can finally marry my sweetheart. And the nineteen forty five version, like when he goes in and he's talking to the the executor of the will it's well well, it's a good thing you didn't get married if if you got married your wife is an asset and i'm just like ooh, yeah that's not good (laughs) it's not great also when he first finds out that he's making all the money and he gives all of his friends different presents and then he gives his butler a job for life (laughs) that was disgusting (laughs) yeah Uh, you get this you get this and what about me sir you're gonna be employed (laughs) Cool. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, oh, boy. it's pretty awful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And, like, I mean, theoretically, he could marry her and then get divorced, and then she gets everything in the divorce, and then he doesn't have it anymore. That's another quick way out. Sure. Yeah, I mean, he's. it's not a thoughtful movie. No. But, yeah, like, I like the idea of the girlfriend. I, I even like the idea of playing around with, like, the nature of the engagement of, yeah. like, the the different ways that that flows throughout the movie. But like, I, I kept feeling bad for their friend, the, for the friends. They're like, we're trying to help you. Yeah. That's, but yeah, I can't, I can't let you, but that's the point. Like that's, it is. that's yeah. what the conflict is. Like it is. I, well, is the conflict. So is the nature of the movie, just the conflict of these friends who think this guy's losing his mind or is the nature of the movie just trying to come up with ways to spend this incredible sum of money? And in my head, kind of the, the extra friends kind of muddied, muddied the waters a little bit in the sense of like, of course, I'm the money guy, I'm the bookkeeper, whatever. Like, I'm interested in like how, like just the mechanics of trying to spend this much money. Obviously, you need to have like people and emotions or whatever. <laughs> but that, but that's the thing is that if, if, if we're, and I think, I think neither version has done it yet, which is why I'd be interested in remaking it because the the good version of this film does both That's which true. is it's it's blank check it's richie mm-hmm. rich right it's it's <laughs> yeah. let watch and and be inventive and spend money but it's also what is this interpersonal thing and and what does it mean to not be able to fully open up to the people around you yeah it's true but what how uh, how how quickly can a friendship curdle when there are secrets yeah I think that's fair. I agree with that. I also, I like the added element of the 80s version where it's like, yeah, I mean, I don't love the idea of throwing all of this money away, but also the alternative is to let already rich people get right. even richer by letting them get the rest of the inheritance. And they I do will a do whatever nice I can to stop with, that. Uh, Waldorf and <laughs> or <laughs> Stanler <Yeah>. and Waldorf. <laughs> I mean, the first thing that I would do uh, before I even sign the contract is I'd be like, well, I have to hire a lawyer to read this because I don't know right. what the hell's going on, but I need to make sure that this is true and legitimate. But I, yeah, they do a nice job um, including that that little like the little spy and the accountant and stuff in the yeah. in the 80s version. And I think that's important. But like I would say like, all right, great. We're going to get a day. I'm going to get a lawyer. They're going to get here very quickly. We're going to read this. And then we're going to confirm that everything you're saying out loud to me is also what's on this piece of paper. And then we'll go for this. Yeah. But yeah, so part of me, the extra, the, here's the twist that I wanted to throw in just, and this is the, the level of chicanery that I think that the, the corporate assholes can get away with. 
because I think that this will kind of build into your the, the nature of what you're doing and the friendships uh, part of the movie is Brewster starts spending a lot of money on the people around him. And it's like, oh, we're, we all think we're going to have these amazing jobs for life. It ends up not being for very long. But basically, Brewster spends all of this money and like raises his name. It becomes extremely famous within New York City. It's like, oh, my God, if in anything, he's like the most famous yeah. guy. Like people hear his name and they're like, oh, my God, you're Brewster. And he spends all of this money and he could get to the very end. And I feel like the the corporate chicanery that you can get away with is he spent all of his physical assets but he got non-tangential assets of, well, people trust you and know you, and you are now a known quantity. You are now famous. That is a right, non Which is now asset. an asset. <laughs> and that has value. And theoretically, that has quantifiable value. You can't, and you can't really get rid of it. So they, for me- They lean towards that when, when they're talking about the mayoral election- yeah, but like obviously he can't get the job. So he kind of just right. like backs out. He quits, but that's it. Like he can't have a job because a job will be paying him. Right. But for me, I think they have to say your good name, the fact that people know who you are and have positive opinions of you has value and positive value that you can then leverage to have money. I know. And because I, I, of that, I love that. You need to ruin <laughs> your own reputation. Yeah. Like you can spend the first two thirds, the first two acts of this movie, building everything up, spending all this money, but then it also has to end with him making everyone hate him. Not only does he have to have nothing, he also has to have a rep, the reputation of dirt. Yep. Be worth nothing. And in a, in a climate where people spend so much money on the most worthless things. Yeah. (laughs) Um, is I mean I like I I really think you, there is room to dive into ideas of like NFTs and things like that where it's just like the very fact that Brewster then becomes famous and has a story then inherently gains value. <laughs> it yes it like that's exactly it. Like I think we can, and I'm not just saying that because in my last episode there was a whole cryptocurrency element. I did Beverly Hills Ninja. If you haven't listened. Oh. I have go, not go heard it. it yet, but yeah, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't even finished editing it. Um, but I, I would potentially take us away from crypto and NFTs just because there's a whole negligible yeah, value to those in the first yeah. place. Yeah. And like, I mean, cause another way to do this is like you buy a hundred million dollars worth of like crypto and NFTs and you have them locked linked to a particular, like, uh, like the whatever, Claude's thing where it's like your personal ID in order to access yeah. this. If and then you, you wanted like to actually it. get into the weeds about all of it, yeah. It, it, yeah. But so like part of me is like, well, I don't want it, the 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 investor assholes to get this money, but I also don't want the NFT people to get the money either. Like, so I have to figure out ways of like getting this money away from the assholes and back. I got a Yakko's wish this money. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wacko's Wacko's wish this money. Yeah. And that's what I think actually needs to happen. And that's hard. So we've taken this deal. We've agreed to spend $100 million. Well, you do have. Do we want this to be in New York or do we want this to be in Tucson? I I think it has to be a a, a city. I think it ha- like it doesn't have to be Tucson. I would say not. People, listeners, Tucson is actually a lovely place. It is. I like living here. It's it's very nice. It is not ritzy. It is not fancy. But it's a lovely despite, place. It is not well known. The, 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 what's the name of the super nice like resort place that's no, like it, near? Sabino there's Canyon? nice places, but but anyway, I, I my point is, I think if we're gonna be locked into a place, it should be a known quantity, a New York, yeah. an LA, a Chicago, yeah. a San Francisco, or whatever. I mean, the first two take place in New York, so yes, I, I guess you're right. It should probably take place in New York. So I'm I'm I'll I'm fine with the stipulation. Can't leave town, but let's make it New York then. Okay, great. Uh, New York is fine. Um, so what are how are some of the ways that you're going to have Brewster spend his millions? Uh definitely one of the things that he does uh, in the original, which is I'm going to make my own Broadway production and do a mini producers and oh, nice. throw all of the money at the worst possible production. That, yes, so that is something that happens in the 45 version and not the 80s version. It is something that could happen almost exclusively in New York. Yeah, and I think it's great. I would absolutely do it. Amazing. Great. And we can even do my version of it's like 
there's a couple of nights where like he he bought oh yeah i bought out the theater and so like they're only performing to him yeah but then at the end of it they're like no we're performers we want as many people to see it as possible and and like one of the friends opens up the doors and sells tickets and it's a sold out show and so now all of a sudden he's making money off of this terrible production (laughs) i love it i that i just what i love is when his his plans fail spectacularly and he ends up making money (laughs) yes like I and I feel like one of the amazing things in New York is that they have this incredibly expensive high end uh, 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 advertising. So like Times Square, like he could yeah. buy out multiple oh, billboards in Times Square, and it could just be like just him standing there waving, going "Hi," not advertising anything, no contact information, and just everyone's and it just goes nuts. It's this incredible viral marketing of like, "What is it? What does this mean? What is this?" And now all of a sudden, <laughs> people are lining up to give him money because they're like the buzz you've got about you is amazing whatever yeah. you're doing i want in he's like no i'm not doing anything and they're like but that's I need the it. point <laughs> and <laughs> but then you also like because it's all that then you get to turn around and at the end of it where it's, instead of him saying hi it's just him flipping off the camera or flipping off on the ads like no tear him down i want this fuck you new york and it's just like oh we're even more into it now no you're not I, that, like yeah, and then and then, <laughs> that's the that's the fun craziness of Bruce's Millions is like, hi, hello, I'm your good friend. I invested money and made you ten thousand dollars. Ah, how could you? I hate you. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and then you have, then you have these yeah, and then you have these people. Please let me give you money. Okay, <laughs> but we skipped over a little bit. We still need to know who is Brewster. Like in the. 40s version, he's a soldier just got back from war. In the 80s version, he's a he, he's a kind of a, a on his way out athlete who didn't really save his money. Who? Yeah. What is the 2023 version of that? In mine, in mine, she is a journalist. Great, love it. Ah, yes, uh, the last medium of a dying industry. <laughs> <laughs> so like. And so she can spend all this money and invest in propping up and hiring a bunch of people to go out and do news because that's the thing about newspapers and uh, things like that is that like in a perfect society, it doesn't make any money. It's just, it's, it's a public service, not a for-profit institution. tell people how it's happening or how she has this literally she can start a newspaper and like hire every single journalist out of college and send them out to go do reporting on all of the different things. Yeah. Actually that's an opportunity for another twist. One of her reporters finds out about this deal. Like they're digging through the, yeah. How does nobody know? Right. That's exactly it. And then they find out and they make it public and now all of a sudden, because it's someone she paid, it doesn't count as her telling. Right. Uh, so them. now, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's there's room to explore those aspects. But yes, basically, you know, you are the story. How do you avoid being the story? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. And it's like she pays all these people not to report on her. So, of course, because her paper's not covering her, all the other ones are. So then she starts buying out all the papers. But then, of course, those are assets. And so now she has to, like, liquidate the papers, but they're not worth anything. So she's selling them at a loss. Like, oh, man. You could – and because she's in New York, (laughs) like – oh, man. Okay. So in the final third, when she's having to tank her reputation, she, like, figures out a way to get to be on SNL – and she intentionally tanks the episode of SNL and just like, oh my God, you're the worst. <laughs> it's like the episode of SNL because there was an episode of SNL that Trump was on that Elon was on. And everyone's just like, no, fuck this guy. Yeah, no, they, they were like, like actually, and, and lifelong fans like myself who have seen every single episode except two. Uh, uh, of, of SNL, really? Yeah. Wow, okay. So something um, like that. Yeah, yeah, there are those people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good. All right. So tell me, tell me about uh, Brewster's friends. I did keep it down. The eighty-five only has Spike. It's just got John Candy um, hanging around. He doesn't really have this big entourage. But I think you need at least one best friend. And, I agree. And I really like the parent aspect. And and again, I'll get more into why I like that. But um, but I I like having the parent around. Yeah i I think it makes sense for. Brewster to not be kind of like a free-floating agent to be like, 
Oh, because it, it's the whole thing with family members who find out, like, who find out about someone winning the lottery. Is all of a sudden family members descend from everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And that's why the smartest people who ever uh, accept the lottery winnings show up, like, in a mask so no one can tell who they are. <laughs> it's great. It's the smartest thing. If you ever win the lottery, don't let anyone know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, what um, about you? Did you have just one friend or multiple? Yeah. I, I just had John Candy. I mean, I also had the. Uh, like I, I had the accountant. I had the accountant's fiance. I also had the like the executor of the will and the photographer and the interior decorator. But we can play around with that in a little bit. I, just in terms of like other things we can do to have him like waste a bunch of money. Like he's able to give five percent away to charity, or she's able to give five percent away to charity. And I feel like that's going to happen immediately and be like, okay, great. Literally, yep. none of this can go to charity for the rest of the month by any definition. Oh God, charity should have been the last thing I did. <laughs> Yeah, and... <laughs> all the uh, well, and that's like that's like the classic beat of the of the story, which which is the same in both versions. Is like there's the money, and then there's like the fun spending of the money, and then there's the panic spending of the money. Yes, <laughs> and so there is this like the, like these kind of beats. And How then crazy big... do you want to go? Oh, th- I mean, that's the whole point. You got to go way crazy. Well, hold on. Let's say she funds a massive search for Bigfoot, and then they find Bigfoot. Oh, I'm open to things like this. Like, that that's actually part of the whole pitch of this is we don't really get these. And I was, I was getting into this when I was looking at writers and directors is like in terms of like how far do you go with a premise – and how crazy are you willing to get with a single movie that's not a franchise? Mm-hmm. 80s screwball comedies, like, were the limit. And we don't have a lot. No. Like, the... I'm, I was, like, hangover? Like, b- bad moms? Like, what What kind of <laughs> movies do we have that, like, go anywhere close to this sort of thing? And we we mostly we don't. That's true, and that's a problem. It's it's one of the issues, and we're saying this. We're recording this on uh, uh, June 29th. Like, writer strike is still going. The actors might go on strike tomorrow. It's that's kind of like the issue of kind of what Hollywood is becoming is like a lot of the middle is disappearing, and it's just kind of like the super low budget and the super high budget, and that's a problem. Like the this was firmly mid range budget, and that that's exactly what this movie needs to be. But also, if you're going full screwball. There's no reason not to like all of a sudden be like, oh, okay, of course funding an expedition to find Bigfoot isn't going to work. Like that's an incredible way to lose millions of dollars instantly. You're paying for the best tech, the absolute no, like you, you, oh yeah, it's reporting. I'm reporting and like, well, people have been looking for this for years and they've never been, had the right funding. Now I'm going to fund all of them and we're going to find it. And then so great, that money has gone. And then you find Bigfoot and you're just like, what the fuck i mean come on like like that isn't that the fun of this type of movie is that yeah anything could happen like legit you saw the trailer you know the premise but still anything could happen we're funding bigfoot and suddenly john ham is bigfoot and he's there <laughs> yeah and he's it's like in the movie <laughs> like that's an that's an audience moment where you're just like all right, yeah, I guess anything. <laughs> That's also a moment where I would like, there's certain movies that I really enjoy where they have like this surprise ca- uh, cameo like that shows up in act two. And I want like, if we're getting John Hamm to play Bigfoot, I don't want that to be anywhere in the previews for this movie. Not at I all. I want that to be Not even a close. complete surprise. Blindsided. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I want that. Okay, John Hamm is Bigfoot. I'm writing it down. <laughs> That's like, that's the whole point is like, this is a type of movie that we don't see as often anymore that just it didn't it didn't leave anything on the table it, everything is so there. then what else do you want what other crazy things should she be spending her money on oh uh, i want i mean i want all the sets i want endless cameos i well, no, that's I the want... movie spending its money that's not her spending her money oh that's that's true okay um I don't know. I don't know. Um, because I, because for me, I don't love can't like crazy cameos in the movie unless it's like a part of the movie. Like in Last Action Hero, it makes sense. But in other movies, like I don't want a constant string of cameos because that distracts me and takes me out of the movie. When it's John Hamm as Bigfoot, that makes sense because it's we're already crazy. It's already like, oh my god, what are you talking about? And the audience is already like crazy. But like, I don't necessarily want a full string of cameos because then I get that. I want to be focused and caring about Brewster. 
that I get that, and and that's actually, um, I, I'm glad you put that up because I agree. Um, which is why you do all of the cameos in five minutes. <laughs> okay, tell me more. <laughs> I, that like that's once when you're in that thrill spree when Brewster first gets it. Okay. Right. Throw the parties. Yeah. Do the right. Uh, it's it's Brewster pitching for the Yankees. It's Brewster with Lin Manuel Miranda on stage. It's okay. Here's how we do it. In Act Two, uh, we get like it's in the big tizzy of Brewster spending all of her money. Brewster decides, you know what is a really good way to lose all of your money, a good way to spend all of your money and get nothing out of it. Celebrity appearances. I'm <laughs> I'm going to announce the first annual Brewies. Nice. And and she puts together a massive Oscar Emmy kind of like yeah, yeah. thing, and basically just giving away awards to the people who are like it's this big event. But like after that, it's like oh my god, I lost all this money, and that's when you get hit with all of a sudden now everyone knows who you are. You're super famous, yes. and now, like oh my god, I finally spent all of my money on this big, ridiculous, over the top thing. I literally gave it away to all of the people, and I literally chose the awards based on like people who are doing good things in the, across the world, and like celebrities and people who are like being positive role models. I have nothing left. I did it. Yeah. But you have your good name. Yep. And, like, <laughs> and now, and now these are a thing. <laughs> now yeah. These so are now, now, all of a sudden, like every everyone knows and loves you, and that's worth something. And now you have to make everybody hate you. And so we can have the flipping off billboards. We can have. <laughs> we find out that uh, somehow she lost Bigfoot again. <laughs> he escaped yeah bigfoot escapes <laughs> and everyone finds out that the only person who had keys who could have let this happen was brewster herself and all of a sudden it's like oh fuck and mm-hmm. everyone's mad at her it's like oh my gosh this great big loss like she'd sold all of these tickets and or she'd sold all these tickets but there's something on the tickets that says that they can't get their money back <laughs> and so now just they don't get to see bigfoot now everyone's mad at her she goes on and has that shit snl thing it's uh so like now all these celebrities who are feeling really good about getting these awards they, they they're the reason she got on snl and then she badmouths all of them in her monologue and just everyone hates her and that's how you do uh uh act three well and that and that the nice part about that is like um you know when she does alienate everybody does anyone stick around is it exactly is it is it the parent the fiance the best friend well, that's, that's still exactly there. It. I feel like if we have the parent, the fiance, the best friend, they need to be there at the beginning. Then there needs to be all the hangers on the the interior decorator, yep. the yep. the photographer, everyone else that's just like kind of glom on and build yep. all the guest men and and entourage people that build up and around. And then this they figure. fall away, and we're left to the core again. We're left to the core again because at the end of the day, they're the ones that care, and they're the ones that are yeah. going to be there regardless. Yeah. But then at the end of the day, the executor says you have to have no one left and she has to alienate them too. I know, right? And that's and you remember well well, I mean you saw it in both versions. Is that's that's that final story part is when Brewster actually thinks that they do have nothing, it's their friends. Yeah. That have that have saved for them. <laughs> Literally is- take up a collection, didn't spend any of the money. Yeah. <laughs> and Brewster's like, no, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, they got to push even them away. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's actually. And I was talking to Chad about this. I don't know about you, but it's not important to me that Brewster wins. I mean, we no, want it's important to me. We want to keep the money away from the <laughs> other why. people. But <laughs> but but yeah, like um, but yeah, that's really the only reason. Is it, it's kind of funny that this huge prize is not actually part of the story. Hmm. <laughs> That said, there is something that the the forty five version had that the eighty five version or that the, the eighty four version did not have that I really liked, and because the whole premise of the reason why this eccentric uncle is doing this is because the eccentric uncle just he, his father caught him smoking a cigar, so yep. he made him smoke the whole pack, and therefore he never wants and to ever smoke they a cigar again. The same excuse, in the new they one. Use the same stupid story, but yeah, basically the premise is like you have to spend all this money. So that you learn to hate it and you never want to do that again. Yeah. 
And so the the 40s version ends with like someone coming up to Brewster on the street and offering to sell him something for like a buck fifty. And he's like, a buck fifty? That's so expensive. And like after an entire movie yeah. of him spending money Don't on you know, this is only worth a buck forty-five. Don't yeah. you know the value? <laughs> yeah, and it's it's and you get to see like how this has changed Brewster. And I do think that's important. The end of the eighties version is just like, I did it. Cut to credits. Yeah. And I, I do think it's important for Brewster to win because in these style of comedies, I think it's important that they win. Yeah, we, we probably should go with it. But yes, it's, but it's I, not really- I also want some sort of resolution and acknowledgement of a change in the character. Yes. And uh, I don't know what I want that change to be. What do you think it should be? For, for me, it kind of uh, a realizing of what it means to live in the public eye. Sure. Um, uh, that Brewster starts as this journalist and is maybe even somewhat judgmental oh. of of other people. Oh, sure. Um, like she could start as a paparazzi. Yeah, and basically all of this going through and and making her realize that it was the close relationships, it was the non her life away from the public eye that maybe she values more now. Yeah. Um, and like, and it's also like a willingness to accept help. So like, literally, she can go like, okay. It's over. She's finally yeah. together with her friends again. And she's like, hey, can we just go get dinner? Yeah. <laughs> can I pay for just, it? Sure. An appreciation for the simpler things. Yeah, absolutely. And then you literally end with them sitting in a New York shawarma shop as we slowly zoom out. <laughs> and uh, Chris Evans has to cover his face because he has a beard ah. at the time, so he can't yep. eat it. <laughs> but yeah, so something like that. Just something simple where it's just, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be bombastic. It's just... It's, it's just that special moment with the friends, but that's separate from how, who she was at the beginning where she was just trying to get that one big story. Yeah. And, now, and to it's, be fair, she doesn't need that one big story anymore because she now has a billion dollars. <laughs> but No, but that's, but that's the point. It's, it's just the, it's, it's the uh, when you're young and hungry, what if, what if, what if, what if, what do I want? What, what could I get? Um, and then, well, there's, there, that's the thing is after you did get all that, hey, Probably none of those things were the things he really wanted anyway. It was the thing yeah. you already had. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Good. All right. Well, I think that's our movie. You ready to talk about casting? Yeah. All right. So it sounds like you gender swapped Brewster. So let's start there. Who did you have for your female Montgomery Brewster? Montgomery. Uh, Monty. I still went with Monty. I think it's Monty, a fun. Monty, <laughs> Monty Burns. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I wanted a comedian. I wanted somebody of the day and age. I wanted somebody who you are going to love to watch going crazy, spending money, having fun, and who you are going to love to watch going slowly insane. My Brewster is Aquafina. Ah, interesting. Okay. Uh, which roles do you pull from for uh, Aquafina for, for her to have this role necessarily? I mean, Nora from Queens is pretty broad. Um, yep, there's good. some really fun stuff there. She, you know, in uh, Crazy Rich Asians, she has a lot of fun with that role as well. Um, if you're looking for a more serious role, um, like she she can do the drama, you know, I think she can do all the parts. Great. Good. My, I, I did not uh, gender swap uh, Monty Brewster. I went with an actor who I've seen in Good Omens. Um, I have not seen him in the originals, but he was in the originals. And I've also seen him in Umbrella Academy. I was kind of going for who kind of gives off modern day Richard Pryor vibes, which is charming, handsome, but funny. And I went with an actor named Yusef Gate Gatewood. I am not sure if I know this one. In Good Omens, he plays, I want to say, Famine. Okay. I don't specifically remember who he is as Umbrella in Umbrella Academy, but like he's just a charming, funny guy. Yeah. And I think it's like, oh man, it's just this crazy thing that happened to him. That works. Let's come back to the actual Monty Brewster uh, for the moment, and then we'll... Uh, so let's, let's populate the world around them. So we need... I feel like we need a friend, a fiancé, a mother, and uh, then we need a couple hangers-on. Fair enough? Yeah, that works for me. That's pretty much the things that I had. Let's start with the best friend. Who did yeah. you have for the best friend? Or no, you went first for the last one. Let me tell you who I had for yeah, the best friend. Because... So I was most, because you're basically recasting the 40s version, I'm basically recasting the 80s version. We're going to end up with a little bit of a mix, but I was looking for a modern day John Candy. Great. And that's really hard, 
Especially because, yes. as you know, I try very hard not to cast A-list. And the vast majority of my list are not strictly A-list, except for this role. Um, because as soon as John Candy showed up, I was just like, oh, John Candy's in this. This is going to be a fun movie. And so the person I was thinking of who is both fun and kind of gives you that sense of like, okay, they're involved. This is going to be okay. Is Seth Rogen. Yeah. Like yeah, modern day John Candy kind of is Seth Rogen. I mean, like you even take who he is in the Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie or like who he is in This Is at The End. And like, he's always very good. He does dramatic, but he's also so funny and he's an excellent producer and he knows what's funny and good. Yeah. I mean, he's just always going to be solid. Yeah. And he's always going to be an excellent best friend. It just don't ask him to be a Green Hornet. <laughs> no, he. I mean, he's so good in, in that role, in that in that best friend, that supporting role. Um, he can do the setups. He can. He can. He's he's there for all of it, and he's seasoned. He knows everything. Absolutely. Uh, who did you have for the best friend? My best friend is Mila Kunis. Oh, interesting. Okay. She, well, I want somebody who is going to get on Aquafina with uh, this is what we wanted. This was our drive. This was our ambition. Somebody who can be really high energy mm-hmm. because Aquafina is not always necessarily at that. Like, so some somebody who's going to really, really push her and she gets so intense. She's going to have so much fun spending all the stuff. Um, she's going to get really ambitious and driven into it. And she, he, she's really fun when she yells at people. It's fun to watch Mila Kunis yell at people. That is also true. (laughs) Cool. Interesting. Uh, Who did you have for your fiancé? My fiancé is um, Reggie Jean Page, uh, Bridgerton guy. I don't know who this is. I mostly just know him from Bridgerton, but he did great on SNL as well. He's just a very handsome man. he's the guy from Dungeons & Dragons. Yes, which I I did not see, but I heard that he was very good in that as well. He is so good yeah um yeah i mean uh, yeah everybody loves him i've loved him in the things that i've seen him in so yeah all right so here's what i'm thinking i want to do for this moment what i'm thinking we should do is i think we should go with your brewster and your love interest and then we should go with my best friend that works for me so i think brewster should be aquafina the love interest uh should be reje jean page and then the best friend is Seth Rogen. Love it. So that's our first three. And that's kind of our core three. That's a big billing. Yeah, it, it's pretty good. Um, that That's the core three of like the people we care about anyway. But you also have the mom. I don't have the mom. Tell me who you have for the mom. Oh, uh, actually, I had the dad. Oh, that's fine. Who do you have for the dad? James Sato. He was in Always, Always Be My Maybe. He was the original Shredder for Teenage Mutant oh. Ninja Shows. I wanted an Asian American. The reason I liked this is if we have Aquafina as American born coming into a lot of wealth and wasting it, uh, having a parent who had to earn and knows the value and oh, watching God. them. That's yes. awful. That's amazing. But that's awful. You're a monster. And yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. I know that is yes. It's horrible, right? Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. You're you're correct. That's terrible. We have to do it. Okay. So, All right. So that is James what I have. <laughs> Great. I so then I have I have some hangers on. Like I have Warren Cox, which was the kind of like the love interest other pull. I'm gonna yeah. This kind was of the decorator that. slash spy. No, Warren Cox was oh. Angela Drake's fiance. Yeah, he was. Oh spying. yes, I'm so sorry. Yes, decorator yeah. slash spy. Um, I had that character. Um, I feel like having a spy for the the villains isn't a bad idea. Is that a character you had, or should I just tell you who I had? I did have one, but uh, you can go first if you want. Oh, great. So I cast an actor who I've seen in Andor, Game of Thrones, Fantastic Beasts. I needed a generic white guy, British accent, bad guy, who I don't necessarily know just from the face of him. And his name is Wilf, W-I-L-F, Scolding probably have seen him and don't know yeah exactly so it's just like oh yeah uh i mean i don't know or trust this guy at all no that works great yeah (laughs) yeah i do not know what this face means (laughs) right exactly but he's like that that's a a white guy with like brunette slash blondish hair he's up to something yeah but yeah so who did you have for the the espionage spy who is fun and lavish, but you don't trust at all? 
Catherine Hahn. Oh, interesting. That is good. That's better, actually. Yeah, we're going with Catherine Hahn. <laughs> I mean, I love Catherine Hahn in everything, so. And she's very much been screwed over by Hollywood in the sense that, like, she stood up for people and then was branded as difficult. But yeah, Catherine Hahn, great. Love it. Unless I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm thinking of the wrong person. I, yeah, I'm absolutely thinking of the wrong person. Oh, who are you thinking of? Now I'm curious. I'm thinking of Catherine Heigl. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> who has worked with Seth Rogen in the past? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to push this towards Catherine Heigl, actually. That's that's fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love Catherine Hahn, and she's very funny. But she's played a, like, I She's done I this know. role before. She's done yeah, it. Yeah, kind of. Um, so then I have the executor of the will, which I think is an important role. And then I have kind of two hangers on. Cool. I do not have an executor. So so I wanted the executor because in both versions, the executor is like the one person Brewster can talk to about this. And Brewster's yeah. like, this sucks. And the executor is like, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Those you're, are the rules. Sh- yeah. Shit situation. <laughs> it's the only way out through. <laughs> And it's like it's the one, per- and it's also the one person who kind of stands up for Brewster against like the espionage of like, yeah, this is a shit thing you have to go yeah. through, but like, you 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 got this. And I feel like the person who does that really well is someone who's been in Downton Abbey and Mary Poppins Returns, but more importantly is his role in Ted Lasso, and that's an actor named Jeremy Swift. I should know everybody from Ted Lasso, but he is the assistant. Oh, yes. Oh, look at that sweet face. <laughs> uh, Leslie, I think is his name. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, I love that pick. <laughs> Good. So then I've got two hangers on. Tell me about who, who what other characters do you have left? Let's see. Um I separating the fiance, I had a separate accountant. Okay. So this would be somebody who's kind of the similar to the executor, except that they would be in on it. Um, so this oh, would be you the want pers- them to be in on it. This this would be a person who is making sure that Monty follows the rules. Because I thought it was interesting that like they were in on it in as much that they know he they they they're tracking the money he's spending, but they don't know right. Why. But they didn't know. I, the reason I like this one is you get to have. M- even do more stipulations if you want. Okay. I wanted somebody to be there all the time to be like, nope, can't do that. Oh, oh blah, okay, blah, blah. great. I love that. I think that's very funny. Continue. Uh, so Adam Scott. Yep, Adam Scott's very good at that. <laughs> Adam Scott is excellent at being an ass and saying no. Yes. <laughs> that's so, very funny. Okay, yeah. great. Uh, Kill, Killjoy Adam Scott. <laughs> yep, good old Killjoy Adam Scott. Good old uh, Mayor McChill or whatever it was from yes. Rock. Yes, very much that. Uh, good. Love that. Uh, my hangers on were the photographer and the interior decorator. Mm-hmm. Just because they're like people who are like, yeah, no, great. We're doing whatever you want us to do. Great. Oh, the money's gone. Bye. So Marilyn, the interior decorator, uh, I wanted Tracy Ellis Ross from Blackish and Girlfriends and Little. Yeah. And uh, the, That's a good pick. the photographer. I... I just cast a weirdo. Okay. He's someone who, like, I like. I feel like he's he's like the monster guy. Like, this is a guy who's like been in a bunch of prosthetics. Like, I think he plays, like, in D and D, he plays like one of the orc monsters, and he's like just been various monsters and weirdo dudes, and then was like in Jupiter Ascending. It's an actor nam- named Spencer Wilding. Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna look him up. Like, I'm not expecting anybody to know who this is. He's just but- like. It's just like, like, cause the, the photographer in the movie, like the one who's like initially oh, spying that's... on Brewster to then report back and be like, yep, it's this guy. It's a good weirdo face. I like it. Yeah. And <laughs> so I just thought that'd be fun. Good. Um, cool. But that brings us to writer and director, right? Mm-hmm. I so think so. I actually, I actually have a hyphen it this time. Uh, do you have separate writer director? I do. Okay. So we'll do your writer. We'll do my hyphen it. Then we'll do your director. Sound good? Yep. Great. Tell me about your writer for Brewster's uh, Brewster's Billion. <laughs> Brewster's Billions, yes, uh, for this one. Uh, it's it's going to be somebody that you know. I know you're a fan. Uh, I have a writing team. Okay. So I had Ines Choi, who was the uh, writer of Kim's Convenience, which became then a sitcom, Canadian mm-hmm. sitcom, started as a stage play. And then pairing that with somebody who can do crazy scuba, crazy scuba, 
screwball wildness, Rachel Bloom. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Ince Choi and Rachel Bloom. Okay. So you're paper teaming these two. Yes. <laughs> okay. Got it. All right. Interesting choice. Why Rachel Bloom? Because of the screwball comedy? Uh, just somebody way over the top. I did. I was looking for other crazy over the top writers and a lot of them like have some sketch comedy roots and stuff, but Rachel Bloom just had more tenure, just like felt more experienced felt. I mean, I, I looked at Michael Patrick O'Brien, um, was another writer who can do crazy stuff, but in terms of like doing a full feature, that's, it's just who I thought could do it. Great. Okay, cool. So then let me tell you about my hyphenate. Yeah. I also wanted someone who could do kind of the absolute zany comedy, but I also want someone who knows money really well. Because like at the end of the day, this is a financial comedy. It is. And I, I'm going with someone who is both a writer and a director and whose dance card is very full. But as this is ideal remake, they can make time. I want someone who did Step Brothers, who did The Other Guys, and of course also did The Big Short. Mm-hmm. I went with Adam McKay. That like, is correct. <laughs> yeah. You want someone who does like, who writes and directs the craziest batshit like zaniness, who's absolutely seen Brewster's Millions and probably seen both versions, but also someone who can like take finance and make it funny. Like that's Adam McKay. That That is who that person needs to be. And if you're going to look out and find any degree of relevancy, in a ridiculous comedy, you're going to get it from Adam McKay. Right. That said, who's your director? I have an insane director choice, and I think probably we should go with Adam McKay, but I'm just (laughs) going to throw it out there because just in terms of thinking about how can you show this film in in a crazy way that hasn't been seen before, in terms of visual comedy, Edgar Wright is my guy. Oh, man. Okay. And... The cutscenes that you could throw together for spending millions, the 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 layered, the effects, the, the the just everything. If I can have a little bit of Scott Pilgrim in this zany comedy, I that, mean, that's where I got. The unfortunate it, but... thing is that both Adam McKay and Edgar Wright are both very much writer directors. Like I don't know yes. the last thing Edgar Wright did directed that he didn't also that's actually, write. No, that's fair. That and I and I think I think Adam McKay is actually the better fit here. I think. Yeah. I, the the Edgar Wright thing was far afield. I'd be really interested to see a treatment, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, the one thing about it is it'd be nice to know that the first five minutes of the movie would tell us everything that happens in the rest of the movie, and I do think that would be fun. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, obviously, we're going to go uh, with Adam McKay to direct, but I I don't love the idea of paper teams. Like, like unless the people are actively like working together. Yeah. Like, they're already going to be working with the director in order to write. So between Rachel Bloom and Ince Choi, who would you be more interested in having write this? Rachel Bloom is the more natural choice. I just wanted somebody to give it a little authenticity if it was going to even – if it was going to have a little bit of a uh, – Asian heritage inspiration? Yeah. I think that's reasonable. But also you have Aquafina in the lead role and yeah, Aquafina can write as well. Yeah. So she's going to have a voice in the team. Absolutely, yes. Um, so yeah, I think having Rachel Bloom write, because the other thing I like about Rachel Bloom is that she is very socially conscious, and I think that's important, especially for yeah. certainly our motivations for this movie. But then Adam McKay as well would be the right person to do this. Okay. So that's our cast. Shall I bring you through it? Yeah, let's hear it. So, Brewster's Billion with a B, but singular. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Brewster's Millions is still fine. He's still spending $100 million. Fine. Brewster's Millions. Brewster's big bucks, whatever. Um, uh, Montgomery Brewster is going to be played by Aquafina. Spike Nolan, the best friend, is going to be played by Seth Rogen. The love interest, which is no longer Angela Drake, but is now Drake Angela, is going to be Roger Jean Page. Warren Cox, the corporate spy, is going to be Catherine Heigl. Dad will be played by James Sato. The executor of the real, the executor of the will, Edward Roundfield, will be Jeremy Swift. Marilyn, the interior decorator, and hangers-on will be Tracy Ellis Ross. J.B. Donaldo, the photographer, will be Spencer Wilding. The accountant will be Adam Scott. And Bigfoot will be John Hamm. <laughs> yeah. All of this will be written by Rachel Bloom and directed by Adam McKay. That is Brewster's Millions. Brad, you gonna go see this movie? I would see this movie. 
Cool. Well, awesome. We did it. We dropped our pen. And then we also remade Brewster's Millions. <laughs> so uh, we get to the point that I know you've been dreading. Now's the time for you, Brad. If you've got anything you'd like to promote or anything you'd like to have the audience do, please tell them now. I have absolutely nothing to promote. Please enjoy a nice burrito. It, oh, good. I like it. Um, do you have a, any kind of burritos you would like to suggest? Something that might surprise them? Or do you want to, to rely on an old classic? Well, you, you know, we did talk about Tucson. If you're coming into Tucson, you got to get a Nico's Bean and Chi. I mean, I did go to Nico's when I was in Tucson. Did you know that? I, <laughs> I believe it. It's the correct thing to do. I, here's the thing. I don't know that I, like, I can't remember the last time I ate at Nico's. Like, I know I've had a bean and cheese from Nico's before, like, when I was in high school. But I yeah. don't remember, like, having had them since then. And there's this brand new Nico's near the IHOP on Grant. And I was like, I'm going to this Nico's. Yeah, it's the burrito bowl. <laughs> yeah. So, Nico's. Go get a bean and cheese. Great. If you're interested in following me at... As of time of recording, Twitter still exists, but if it goes down, great. But in, in the meantime, I am at Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H. Or you can follow the podcast at Ideal Remake on Twitter, but pretty much only on Instagram. The best thing you can do for my podcast or any podcast is go on Apple Podcasts podcasts, and uh, leave a five-star review. We can always use more. We haven't had a good review in a while, and that would be incredibly helpful. Or tell people you know about the show. Like, Spread the word. Spread the word of Ideal Remake. Our time has come. Our time has come! Or look in the show notes and join the Julian Genre Discord to let me and possibly Brad know what else uh, we need to miss. If you uh, had to spend $100 million in a month, how would you do it? Please tell me. I'm genuinely curious. So, we will end this episode the same way we end every episode. Brad, what is your favorite quote from the movie Brewster's Millions? Either version. None of the above. I don't remember the context. (laughs) (laughs) Vote for none of the above. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Vote for none of the above. Oh, my God. Ah, Good.